Clap, clap your hands and stomp your feet. You're listening. You're listening to the Clap Your Hands podcast, hosted by Elliot Shore Parks and Kyle Newbeck. Here they come. What is going on, everybody? This is the Clap Your Hands podcast, brought to you by Odyssey Sports, brought to you by 94WIP. I am Elliot Short Parks. Kyle, I have some good news and some bad news off the top of the jump. What, what, what do you want first, the good news or the bad news? Always give me the bad news first. The Eagles lost the Super Bowl. That is bad news. But I don't I'm, know if uh, you heard that. But fortunately Eagles, slash unfortunately, I already knew that. So Yeah, I can confirm. I was basically living in Phoenix for 10 days, so I can confirm that they did indeed, indeed lose the Super Bowl. But you want the good news? Sure. Good news means it's time to focus on the Sixers, man. It's time to get yeah. back to more pods. No more of this having to deal with the Super Bowl nonsense. We can focus on what is now the best team in the city, the Sixers. We got one more little Eagles press conference. Get it out the way. And then it's all Sixers all the time, man. So I'm excited. Uh, as much as that loss was certainly an ugly one, um, you, know, you can fire some takes off at some point if you want on that one. But it is exciting that when the Eagles are done, at least – we're walking into a good Sixers team, a team that has played well. We're going to get into Harden. We're going to get into, you know, we can talk a little bit more about the trade deadline since I feel like that one was bumped a little bit. We can talk about Embiid, Jokic, all types of things. I'm excited to be able to focus on this team because I really think that that they they uh, they deserve the type of attention they're about to get with uh, everyone furious at the Eagles and Jonathan Gannon. Well, I may or may not have sent a text to somebody the other day and said, uh, I hope Jonathan Gannon steps on a Lego every day for nice. the rest of his life. So uh, You're one of those was, guys uh, that hates Gannon, man. No, I would say I've been ambivalent on Gannon, but the Eagles being so unprepared for pre-snap motion when Kansas City is a notoriously high pre-snap yeah. motion team, it's just... You know what? What the hell are they doing in the two weeks leading up to the game? That that's kind of my big thing. It's like it. I get it. The the whole blitzing or not blitzing, or you send four, you send five, whatever it is. That stuff I think is a little overdone. I think it's just the fact that on top of that in that game, the stuff that Kansas City is known for doing, yeah, they just were not ready for it at all, and. You know, that shouldn't happen. It's not like this. Kansas City didn't just like reinvent their playbook in the lead up to the Super Bowl. It was they they did what they do and they beat the shit out of the Eagles defense with it. And that's just annoying. Well, I just think it was such a perfect example of how in Philly sports and I'm sure it's like this in other places. But in Philly sports, if you're a popular player, the leash that you get is so much longer. And if you're somebody that nobody that people are already mad at, you get no leash whatsoever. Like. Jalen Hurts was unbelievable. You could argue he was the best player on the field in that game. He also handed the opposing team seven points in what ended up being a three, a, you know, a three-point loss, right? Like that was a massive play. And no one wants to bring that up. No one wants to rip Jalen. Whereas Gannon, who has a much tougher task, going against a much tougher opponent, all these things. Look, they weren't great for sure. They were bad in the second half. They were great in the first half. But I'm to tie this to the Sixers, what I'm interested in is like. Where do you think Embiid falls in that? And this is certainly not where we thought we were going. But do you think Embiid is in the Jalen not going to get criticized camp or the Gannon walking on thin ice, everyone's ready to jump on him camp? I think it depends on the person, honestly. I think the people who have been invested in the Sixers dating back through the process years and him being the first real 
you know, mm-hmm. culmination of all the the losses and the drafting and what have you. I think those people will defend Joel to the ends of the earth. I think maybe the more casual Sixers fan, I don't mean that in a bad way, just people no, yeah, who are just, not sitting yeah. through a 10 and 72 Sixers season. Yeah. And I have better things to do with my time. I think people like that are probably more inclined to say, well, all right, like when's it going to happen for this guy? And when's it going to happen for this team? And I think both those approaches are fair. Like I, I, I think I fall in the middle of those two camps. I watched, Almost literally every game during the, <laughs> the process years. It's part of why I have the career that I have now. Yeah, and, you know, I I respect where Joel is at as a player, that the arc that he's had for his career is insane for a guy who only picked up basketball in his teenage years. It's just a remarkable story. He hit he's the fastest Sixers player to ever score ten thousand points. Yeah, I saw that. It was a milestone he hit last night against Cleveland incredible achievement but but yeah we've talked about it on the pod a lot of things that annoy the two of us about this team come down to him and leadership Mm -hmm. and not taking games seriously and is he going to be healthy in the playoffs and so on and so forth and you know i don't blame him so much for the health stuff i i think joel is doing the right things with his body and his prep in a way that he didn't do early in his career it's not a matter of Oh, he's not in shape, or he's not going to be able to play this many minutes. Is it's is will his body hold up over yeah. eighty-two games plus the playoffs? I understand the frustration with that, though, right? You don't want to go into the playoffs as a fan and think, man, the the rug could just be pulled out from under us at any time because this guy's body is just going to give out on him. Or even if it holds up, is he simply going to be good enough mm-hmm. to be able to lead this team to a championship? So I think those questions are fair. I, I do think that he's at a higher level than he was in years past. And frankly, he's got a much better co-star next to him than he's had in the past. So it's all yeah. on the line in the playoffs this year. There will be a lot of takes one way or another, no matter what happens. So the other like Sixers Eagles question I had for you was um, this Eagles team. Now I think things change because this year was fun. Like this year was Jalen's unbelievable. They're the one seed. They have a great coach. Like all the, it was like a surprisingly fun season. People thought they'd be good, but it it was fun. You cover a team that I think for a few years has now been where this Eagles team is going to be, which Mm -hmm. is the Eagles. Now it's not fun until they win the Super Bowl. Like they've been the one seed. They've won playoff games. Jalen's almost won MVP. They've, they've, they've done all those things. And so now I think going into next year, they enter it with an expectation of nothing really matters until the Super Bowl. Now, obviously the Eagle, I'm sorry, the Sixers have not been to the finals, but you cover a team that for a few years, it's been like, doesn't really matter until the second round. Like they just got to get out the second round. I'm curious, like being around the team and you, you mentioned you're someone that went from the process to now, like how being around the guys and the team, do you notice like a a difference like when that shifted like what what's it like to cover a team or to be around a group of guys where nothing really matters as much until like the pinnacle point that they've continually failed at so it changes on so many fronts right i was covering the team during ben's rookie year and so the first year that ben and joel played together 2017-18 where i want to say they were about 30 and 25 at the all-star break. Yeah. And then they go on that crazy run at the end of the season. They get the three seed. They win the first round series. And then they end up being favored against Boston because of Kyrie Irving being hurt. And 
even though they lost in pretty ugly fashion, I still think people were really satisfied with that season. Mm-hmm. It's that idea that, you know, they got the next decade ahead of them. These guys are under contract for forever. Ben can get so much better. We obviously know that was bullshit <laughs> in, in, in hindsight. Joel can get so much better. That ends up being true, but he still has yeah. health issues. And so there's all that hope and that optimism. And I think to draw back to the Eagles, that's one thing I've been trying to stress to people is that I understand Jalen Hurts is 24 years old. They have these weapons locked up for at least a couple more years. They have you know a ton of talent on both sides of the ball. They're not going to lose too many guys. But you look at it, one, the Eagles schedule is tougher next season. Mm-hmm. Two, now they have the target on their back. This is not the up-and-coming team that can say, oh, we go into a, a mid-season game against a decent opponent. And they just view it as, you know, this is another game on the schedule. It's an important game, but you're not playing. You're not marked men. It's not like I think one thing people underrate with the Cowboys is that they get so much press that there's extra motivation for guys to beat them. It's the same thing with the Lakers and the NBA. Pro coat. No, I'm not. I'm saying everybody is anti-Cowboys to the extent that it's the same thing with the Lakers. Every game against the Lakers is a big one. It's the same reason that when you play at Madison Square Garden against the Knicks, it doesn't matter if the Knicks are good. You're still playing at MSG, a place that, you know, guys love having big games there. There's extra energy for stuff Mm -hmm. like that. There's, There's more celebrities there. There's all kinds of stuff. So this stuff always plays into... You know how a team performs it, it weighs on you it's a different mental strain i think you can hear it in how joel talks about things like the all-star game you know he talked last night saying essentially he doesn't know if he's going to play in the game he's been hurt and he's been playing through a lingering foot issue i think in years past joel is like he cut off a limb to play in that mm-hmm. game it, it means a lot to him and now he's stressing you know what i care about is being healthy for the stretch run and pushing for a championship. And it's not proving people wrong that I should have been an all-star starter in the first place. It's focusing on what's going to get us to the end of the year. And so there's a lot of stuff like that. Some of it is an added maturity that comes with this stuff. And I don't think there's so much of that with the Eagles because Jalen Hurts, for example, is already such a steady confident leader that I don't think anything's really going to change for him, but there are definitely guys on that team that are going to have to take a, you know, a more serious approach week to week and and be prepared for the fact that there's extra venom in every hit that those guys are going to take from now until the end of next year. And the other part of it too, that tie that reminds me of the Sixers of where the Eagles are at right now is the the Eagles were up at halftime of the Super Bowl by 10, like to get back to that point. And it's not a shot at the Eagles whatsoever because they were amazing. But you need so much luck to get there. Like, look at the Sixers. The Sixers, the Kawhi shot bounces the wrong way, right? The last year, they have a team that Harden wasn't as good, obviously. But Embiid gets elbowed in the face or whatever against the Raptors, coming off probably like his best playoff performance, or at least with that, you know, the game-winning shot. And then all of a sudden, a very beatable Heat team. Like, I think if Embiid is fully healthy in that series, I think the Sixers beat the Heat in that series, right? So, there's so much dumb luck involved. And I think that's with the Sixers too. But now it's with the Eagles where it's like, they're going to have to survive 17 games of health. They're going to have to win two playoff games. And so whenever I think of the Sixers about like, where are they at? And I want to talk to you about this too, because it is the quote unquote midway point of the season with the all-star break. But like the Sixers are awesome. Like Harden's unbelievable. Embiid is playing awesome. 
the frustrating thing is, and I think you saw it in that Eagles game, it might just come down to luck. Like, will will the refs call uh, call a flag at the right time? Right? Will Embiid or will he not? Will he not catch an elbow in the face? Will Harden maybe you know walk the wrong way and his hamstrings bother him again? Like, I think that's what the Eagles showed me to tie it into the Sixers is there's so much luck and just so much like you can be a great team and you can be right there, but it's just going to come down to like a five day stretch and what happens. And it's just frustrating for the Eagles to think they were so close, like so close. And, and now it's like, they have to try to do it all again. Well, that's the, it's the beauty and the pain of a single elimination format, right? You can just play a few good games and win the Super Bowl because you had better games at the right time compared to everybody else. Uh, to the luck point, other than, you know, I know Lane Johnson was playing through a serious issue, but it was not a serious enough issue that he was off, like, played great. He played Offensive line was awesome. So yeah. he was not injured enough that it impacted their line play. And I think you look at the biggest luck factor is just the fact that the Eagles had basically every important player healthy yeah. and available for that game. And that is such a rarity in the NFL specifically. You don't know what's going to happen moving forward on that front. You don't know who could go down, how that compromises your lines, your secondary. God forbid, you know, Jalen Hurts gets yeah. hurt. Well, Jalen was kind of banged up, but you're right. Like, it could have been worse. I mean. Yeah. Right. It could be worse. And, you know, you lose two, three games in a season where you don't play a bunch of middling quarterbacks throughout the season that could be mm-hmm. the difference between you know 12 and 5 or I, i'm getting used to the 17 games i know as doing me. the math or out. like 10 and 7 and then you're fighting for a wild card positioning yeah. and that's a whole it's a, it's a different, different between season. playing games at the link and opening on the road and it's again like the same thing with the sixers and this is why we harp on their efforts sometimes and i'm you know we even talked in a few games so i'm sure once again you have some effort thoughts, but like that's it. the Sixers, the difference, like the Eagles should be such a motivating factor to them. Cause the Eagles showed that it like the littlest margin is the difference between ending the year where everybody loves you and ending the year where people are frustrated. And for the Sixers, that margin could be being the two seed, the one seed or the four seed, you know, and it could end up being three or four games. And that's why I thought the win over the Cavs, like my friends were frustrated that they almost blew it in the second half. And I get that. But ultimately, that was a big win. They dominated in the first half. And, like, that type of win is going to matter when it comes to is game seven of wherever going to be in here or going to be on the road. Like, the the Eagles showed how small the margin can be. And it just kills me to think that as good as this Sixers team is, it's just going to come down to little things. Like, that's kind of where, where it'll be. Yeah, and in the Super Bowl, I know everybody focused on the Bradbury penalty as that's the little thing that ultimately right. sent Kansas City over the top. But you look throughout that game, you know, I I wrote all year, I'm sure you talked about all year, special teams are a yeah. huge swing factor. And that punt and the punt return in the fourth quarter, that, that's a huge momentum swing in the game. Uh, the penalty that Sayamalu took on the yeah. play before Jalen Hurts' fumble, you go from a QB sneak play that's – basically a a stone cold lock for the Eagles to convert that first down. And you don't know how the possession changes from there. Maybe they go down score, they go up 21 to seven. Instead it's a tie game and you know, there's everything there to play for. So when the talent margins are thinner as they are, the further you get into the playoffs, every little thing matters. The details matter. And it's why things like discipline are more important. I think that's why, you know, not to get onto the Doc Rivers defense train too hard, mm-hmm. but 
it's why somebody like Paul Reed, I think, has struggled to establish himself as an everyday player because, you know, Paul does a lot of good stuff. His activity is great. I think there's upside there that he can tap into. I think he's had a good couple of games now that he's back in the rotation. But do you trust him not to make two or three stupid fouls when he's playing in a game against, you know, Milwaukee yeah, like or Boston right. or whoever that those can swing a game because, you know, it might not make it, it might not add up to points, but Paul reaching in and helping to put another team in the penalty early in a quarter at the end of a game, a team could be shooting free throws against you for the final five, six minutes. And that impacts how physical you're able to play defense and all sorts of other things. So, you know, it's a, you look at that game and how close it was and the plays that were the difference between the Eagles winning and losing. And as the Sixers or really any other team, you have to take lessons from that and say, look, to, to be on that highest stage, to come away with a win and moments like that, you have to be nearly perfect. And it yeah. requires a level of dedication that, frankly, they haven't always shown this season. And that should be on their minds as they head into this final third of the year out of the All-Star break. I agree. I, I, I actually have an analogy I thought of with the Sixers. Like to me, so Paul Reed is Quez Watkins, right? And Dwayne Dedman is probably Zach Pascal. Like Quez Watkins has more talent. I than, think you're giving Dwayne Dedman a little too much credit there, but I, I like the, I like the Quez analogy at least. Yeah. But like that's what it comes down to, to your point about trusting people in the playoffs. Like Quez dropped that pass. Zach Pascal doesn't have the speed to get down there, but he probably catches it if he hits his hand. So ultimately, Paul Reed, like coming, especially last night against the Cavs, from, from, I mean, look, my novice basketball knowledge, I thought there was some good moments for Paul Reed last night, yes. right? But ultimately, to your point, can in like the final five minutes of a game, who do I want out there? Him or Dwayne Dedman? Dwayne Dedman might be completely cooked, but at least he's well, if either of them are playing in the final five minutes of a game, they're the six are really point. in trouble. Yeah, that's, by that's, the way. That's, a, that's a good point. He won't even be out there. But to, <laughs> to, to transition a little bit, like this feels like the natural next topic. Where do you feel this team is at at the All Star break? Because we just saw an Eagles team that we know could compete for a title. Obviously, they came about as close as you can without winning it. Like, before we get into some more of the specific things about Embiid's health and all that, just where what's your vibe with what, – what's your overall vibe with the team right now? I think they're really good. I, I think right. – I I've been trying to harp on this all season, and the fans don't want to hear it because, again, and this is fair, they want to see it in the playoffs, Right. But this is, I believe, the best record they've had. At the, with the Eagles, yeah. <laughs> this, this is the best record they've had at the All Star break during Joel Embiid's time here, I believe. So mm -hmm. that's number one. I think very clearly, James Harden is the best number two that he's had. You know, at least in the regular season. We're going to see what James does in the playoffs. Jimmy was yeah. obviously awesome during that playoff run, but he was as apathetic as Ben and Joel were in the regular season during his time here, had some big moments, but a lot of, a lot of bullshit. We'll put it that way. Um, James Harden looks awesome, which I think is probably the biggest deal heading into the final stretch of the season. Right. I was talking with you a little bit earlier that in the Brooklyn game on Saturday, they just added all kinds of good defenders, right? They have Dorian Finney Smith. They have Mikhail Bridges. They already had Nick Claxton. They had, mm -hmm. you know, Ben is not at the level he used to be, obviously, but still a good defender. And James, while he didn't have a good game overall, he spent a lot of that game just beating up 
on good defensive, like taking a guy going one-on-one and just going right by him. Yeah. Happened again against Cleveland on Wednesday night. Evan Mobley, one of the young up-and-coming defenders in the league, they're putting him on an island against James early in that game on switches. And James got him with the same left-to-right crossover two or three different times, got to the rim and scored. Those plays are just not happening last season. They yeah. might not have been happening earlier this season. James came into the year looking much better, but was still not close to you know MVP-level James that he was at. I think people should take a look at James's numbers right now. The volume is not the same, but James is shooting 39% from three on over seven attempts per game. And he's averaging almost 11 assists per game as the primary playmaker. You know, some of that gets padded because Joel has had an insane year and blah, blah, blah. But their Mm -hmm. best offense is you give James the ball, you run a pick and roll with Joel, and you see what happens. I mean, he could probably, if guys hit, Every open shot he was creating could argue that he might get 14 or 15 assists per game. Like he's been that good as a playmaker. He's he's been unbelievable. Like, sorry, keep going. And for him to now look like he can beat playoff caliber defenders is a massive deal. Because if you look back at that Toronto series, for example, Long stretches of that series, he just could not get by guys like Ananobi and Siakam yeah. and guys who are, you know, six, seven, six, eight type players that are athletic and long and are just annoying to get past. If he's beaten up those type of guys in isolation, that is such a huge weapon for them, whether it's with Joel and he gets a favorable matchup because of switching. If it's against bench units and teams have to throw two on the ball at him. The whole thing last year is that Teams figured out eventually that if they just left him in single coverage and said, go ahead, James, see if you can beat this guy, that was a winning recipe for opponents last year. You put two on the ball against James, he's finding the open shooter. So now the fact that you can't really do either without winning that matchup as an opponent, that I mean, they become essentially unguardable as long as Joel is making shots. So I think that's a huge deal. I think, obviously, wait and see. James has had some meltdowns in the playoffs and there have been some bad moments for him there he's got to prove himself not as much as joel does but honestly maybe even more so just because he's already you know top 75 all time he's deeper into his career blah 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 so a lot on the line for james and whether that weighs on him and he's able to do this when it counts is uh another story but i think if we're just judging what we're seeing right now and what we should expect from james moving forward. I I think he looks great. And I think, you know, honestly, the big story might be less about this season and more about that guy's opting out and asking for the full max and you either give it to him or he's leaving because he's not, he is worth that in this current form. And I don't think he's taking less than that if I had to guess. So maybe like the ultimate compliment I can give James Harden is I came into the year not wanting to hate on him, but I was extremely skeptical and it was going to take a lot for me to be like, okay, yeah, he's really good. Like it just was. He's really good. He's unbelievable. And last night um, during the Cavs game, I was texting with some of my friends and we were debating in seriousness, like who would you rather have, Harden or Donovan Mitchell? And if you would have told me going into the year that that would have been a legitimate question. Now, I think Mitchell is the answer because of his age ultimately, but Harden is a way better playmaker than Mitchell is. Like Mitchell's a better scorer. But you saw last night, and to your point, like 
Harden, just what he does for the team, he could be at 14, 15 assists if people made their shots. And there's also stretches of, of the game where the Sixers can't score if he's not out there. Like, as great as Embiid is, he comes in and runs the offense. And I just, like, Embiid's the better player, for sure. And he is the most important player. But you can make the argument Harden is almost right there with him in terms of just how good he is in his level of importance. Again, Embiid is above him. But I think Harden is just, is is right there with him. Like, my question for you would be, and you mentioned earlier in the year compared to now, do you think he's just more comfortable? Like, why do you think he's getting better as the year is going on? He's just, I mean, part of it, he's further removed from this hamstring issue that dogged him, you know, most of the last year and a half, two years. I cannot believe that he recovered from this. Like how many players at that age have a hamstring injury for two years or whatever it is. And then you can legitimately say, oh yeah, he recovered from it. Like it's a miracle. I thought he was Gonzo. Yeah. But I will say, I mean, Chris Paul went through a similar thing, right? He got hurt at the end of their run in 2018 it's basically the reason they lost to the warriors when Mm -hmm. it would have beaten essentially the greatest team of all time or greatest collection of talent of all time um but chris paul gets hurt they lose in game seven because they went over 27 or missed 27 straight threes or whatever it was and game seven and then the next year 2019 2018 19 chris paul basically couldn't move because his hamstring was so screwed up and he gets dumped to OKC for Russell Westbrook. And people thought Chris Paul's career was essentially over. And then Chris Paul, as he gets further removed from that injury, has this resurgent year with the Thunder. He gets traded to Phoenix. They go on a finals run. And now it's, you know, Chris Paul's just old now. So it's it's tough to, to, yeah. <laughs> to do much of anything. But I'll say, like, Chris Paul had that sort of resurgence. And he was a couple years older than James is now. So I think it's a similar thing. I I think the question with James was, you know, his habits off the off the court have not always been, you know, loved by people around him. He, he does. And I think he puts in the work. He obviously cares about his craft, but it was a question of whether James's lifestyle would catch up to him. And then you compound that with the injury and what have you. But all credit to him. He's been awesome. He's gotten himself back to this spot. Whether it's going to hold up over the long term, I guess, is the big question. You never know. But I think he's he's lived up to his end of the bargain and then some. He's, you know, the Sixers right now, as it stands at the All-Star break, they have the sixth best offense in the league and the sixth best defense in the league. That is the profile of an inner circle finals contender. And yeah. you know, I think James has been... I would say for the offensive side of the ball, he's been the single biggest factor in reaching that offensive spot because as good as Joel has been, he can't get the offense going the way James can. And when it was just Joel, the defense was much better. You know, they're playing at like a top three defensive level with basically nobody around him. But the the offense went off of a cliff. And as soon as James comes back, they're basically the best offense in the league from that point forward. And so I look, the guy's been great. He's going to demand a lot in the off season. We'll probably deserve it depending on what happens in the playoffs. And this is the first time in years that I think you can feel confident in, you know, the co-star that Joel has alongside him. I mean, dude, like even calling him a co-star is almost a little bit, you know, undermining what he is. Let me ask you this crazy hypothetical. If you could only have one player for the playoffs, like if the sick, if one of them is going to get hurt, would you rather have Joel or Harden? I'd rather have Joel, but I, I think 
people would not be happy watching this team without James. Yeah. I, I think the drop off from James to Tyrese as a playmaker it is so significant. And I think you'd see a lot of, you know, just going east, west, side to side possessions that are not yeah. doing much of anything. Now, maybe the defense gets better because James has still not exactly been locked in. But even that, like against Cleveland, the first half I thought was one of his best defensive halves I've ever seen him play. Like truly mm-hmm. locked in, flying around the floor. He's beating guys to spots. And that was part of why, I mean, they went into halftime up almost 30 points. So that was a, it's a great well, performance for the first 24 minutes, maybe not the final, but they did get the win. So, Well, to me – and look, I just watched the team blow lead in the second half. So maybe that's why, you know, it just doesn't feel as impactful. But like, ultimately, when I look at that Cavs game, now I think the Cavs are kind of frauds, which is surprising coming from me because I love guards. So and they have great guards, but they're kind of frauds. But at the end of the day, they're the four seed. Or I don't know if they still are after last night, but they yeah. were, I believe, go, you know, going into that game. And the Sixers just absolutely demolished them in the first half. And I know it's an NBA regular season game, so that's not like a week eight NFL game where you can like really get a look. But ultimately, if the Sixers played the Cavs in the finals, I think they would dust them. Like, I think it would be like five In games. the finals, they can't play I'm sorry about that. Sorry, in the playoffs. Again, championship on my mind. If they played them, if they played them in the playoffs, I think they would dust them. So to me, like you're not going to win games by 25 points when it's a three seed versus four seed. Like a run was always going to come. So ultimately, I look at it and I go, the Sixers showed last night when they're at their best. They, I mean, they, they just embarrassed the Cavs. Like it was, again, 30 points at, uh, you know, 30 points at halftime. They got it down to 10. The Sixers pushed it back up to 22. And then it goes back down again. And obviously, it's close at the end. But the Sixers, I, I personally feel always, I would have been surprised if they actually lost that game. Like there was times where it was close, but it always felt like whenever there was a little bit of a push, they answered it somewhat towards the end there. Yeah, so I probably respect Cleveland a little more than you, but at this point, I don't think there's reason to fear them if you're the Sixers in a matchup. I just I don't think they have a lot to offer in that series. I think the problem for me is that Evan Mobley in a few years might be the type of guy that helps you get over the hump in that type of series, but he just is not right now. He's not good enough like somebody made the analogy a colleague of mine at the game last night said the the Cavs need Evan Mobley to be Chris Bosh and right now he's more of like an a Miles Turner type player which is a a nice player but he's not but he's not somebody who's going out and getting you know 20 points and and doing all kinds of crazy shit so uh, I, I think that's probably where I fall on them for now now They'll give some teams problems in the playoffs. And I do think between Mitchell and Garland, those guys have the chance to swing basically any game. They can get hot. Mm-hmm. I mean, they swung last last night's game, and that was Mitchell had a tough start to that game. So, you know, he can get hot out of nowhere. And that that obviously looms large in a uh a seven-game series. But yeah, I mean, ultimately the the stretch before the all-star break, you just want to get as many wins as possible. Yeah. There are a lot of guys whose minds are on vacation and where they're going like i wrote it in the story i did overnight but james harden was so ready to go that by the time we got in the locker room after talking to doc not only was he fully dressed he had his carry-on suitcase (laughs) and a a separate luggage bag already standing next to him in his locker ready to go to the airport so he was uh that's the mentality a lot of guys have but yeah 
doing that, but also performing on the floor is very important. And I think the Sixers, by and large, were able to to split the difference. So, do you have any other takes from that Cavs game last night? Any 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 other thoughts from uh, that one? Uh, the only small one that I would say is that Jalen McDaniels should not be chasing around guards. I, I think he's a uh, yeah. He's had a good few games since uh, joining the team. Last night, I think, was his first bad one. So two out of three ain't bad for a, a role player making like $2 million. Dude, between I, him and Paul Reed, they are so skinny when they're both out on the – like they are just all limbs like between the, those. Though. The other thing I think I underrated, though, is that Jalen is kind of huge. Like if you get up close yeah. – or actually, you know, you can just see it on TV. When yeah. he's closing out on guys – and like Cam Thomas in the Brooklyn game was trying to get a three up over him. Jalen McDaniels looked like a pterodactyl closing out <laughs> on him. Like his his wingspan just right. enormous. So like try that. That's a thing that might matter on some closeouts. I think he'll be a decent weak side rim protector. So those bench units where Joel is out there without Harden, that'll be a, a cool thing to have an athlete who can fly in from the weak side, maybe block a shot if uh, or just get a rebound. If Joel's pulled out away from the yeah. rim, which is nice. And I think you've seen what I, uh, I I think I talked about on the deadline pod, which is that he can actually dribble the basketball a little bit, mm-hmm. which is nice. He can do some things. He hit a three against Brooklyn last Saturday that is pure than any shot Matisse Thibel has taken right. in his entire he's, life. He's way better than Thibel. He will hit better. He's better than Thibel. Yeah. He's, a, I mean, we'll see on the defense. I think there are some issues because he's, He's bigger, and that makes it harder for him to chase little guys around screens and things, which is a, mm-hmm. a Thibault specialty. But I do think offensively it's not really that close, and so I think that'll end up paying dividends in the end. He also looks exactly like every creative player I ever made growing up in a basketball game. Just like a corn- super long. Yeah, yeah exactly. Cornrows, headband, like naming him Elliott Shore Parks. Like that was that was NBA 2K for me, uh, for, for me growing up. But um, no, look, I, I think he's been a good addition. Um, the other thing I had for you was uh, this is a, a roster thing, but we didn't really talk about Dwayne Deadman. Uh, you know, like he's dead, he man. Yeah. Well, it's it is. Look, it is. For people that make fun of my last name, like it is unfortunate for him to have a name that completely plays into that. But just tell me how cooked you think he is. Like, why did I mean we look, you made this point on the pod, and I think it it was a really good one that I think probably didn't get enough attention. They had an open roster spot just to use it on a center was disappointing. Like, I would have rather seen them just sign the best guy available. And then to sign him, it's just almost a parody at this point. Like, it's like you couldn't think of a more perfect player for them to sign just in terms of being old, cooked. He looks like he's like 50 physically. Like, he, I know he's 30, he is old, but he also looks super old. Like, how cooked is he? Why did they sign him? What do you think the logic is behind it? You know, all those things. I, I mean, I think it's pretty simple. I think he's just a bigger guy. Like, he's a legitimate seven feet tall, whereas, you know, Paul Reed and Trez are both undersized. Certain matchups, maybe you play Milwaukee in the playoffs and, you know, you need him against, you know, the Brooke Lopez's of the world. There are not many guys like that in the league. I do think, you know, maybe you could say he's not in the best situation in Miami this year. They've been sputtering most of this year, been an on and off hot and cold team. That's why they're just sort of stuck in the the middle of the Eastern Conference playoff muck. Um, And he had a blow up with the coaching staff in Miami that I know was part of the reason he got sent out. But 
you know, they tend to have those issues all the time. Like Jimmy Butler got in a, yeah. a heated argument with Spo last heat, year on the, the bench. Culture. Yeah, the heat culture, while I am in some ways a fan of it, it is true. You do see a lot of like on the bench fighting with that team. So it's a bit of a pressure cooker. Uh, uh, but here's the thing. he's He might move a little better in space than I thought after watching some tape of him. Mm-hmm. In theory, if he were to make shots, he's a pick and pop guy in a way that neither Reed or Trez is, which that might be useful in a playoff series or in situational matchups. I don't think it really moves the needle at all. I, I think it's, you know, if fans were hoping that they're signing a buyout guy and that guy was going to solve the backup center problem, it certainly is not that. And I, I think the worry that I had is that signing him was going to mean, you know, Doc's just going to play him. And, and that's a, yeah. a, the default option. And so I give Doc, we'll see if that holds up. I give Doc a little bit of credit for saying, no, it's Paul is going to play against Cleveland, which in fairness, I don't think Cleveland's a good matchup for any of the guys that they yeah. have behind Joel because I think they have two really good bigs, uh, different types of bigs too. So we'll see. Like, I'm not expecting much. I don't think, as far as the guys who are available right now for bigs, there are no good options. Like, Serge Ibaka is super washed. He could mm-hmm. not play on the Milwaukee team the Sixers want to beat in the playoffs. Yeah, Deadman was out of the rotation of a Miami team that's much worse than the Sixers this year. So, you know, you never know. It could just be new scenery, gets himself a little healthier, works on his game in the gym and you know maybe he contributes to some games here down the stretch but well i don't have high hopes for him well what i don't get is so i you can explain this to me and maybe some of the listeners won't know too but like so i know in the nfl you can pretty much just cut guys unless they're like a top 10 player on the team like that you can just cut them are they able to cut like Trez if they wanted to? Is Dwayne Dedman basically locked Trez in? Trez has a player option for next year, which is nice. one totally insane. Two yes. also complicates the uh, the buyout process. Okay. It's the same reason that you know if Furkan was on an, an expiring deal, I think there's a relatively high chance they might cut him just to clear a roster spot and get somebody in who might play. Because he clearly is not in their plans. You know, he was away from the team for personal reasons and right. submitted a trade request. Now, I don't know if the personal reasons are he's just upset or it could have something to do with there was a recent tragedy in yeah, Turkey, a giant earthquake. So I don't, I'm not aware of if he's dealing with family issues or not. So I won't speculate there. Um, but yeah, I mean, he's not playing, he hasn't played in a long time. It would take several injuries, I think, for him to actually get a chance. So, yeah, if like a guy like him is on an expiring, you probably buy him out and, and bring somebody else yeah. in. So it's these extra really years impact, that are killing them. But does it really impact the cap that much? Like at the end of the day, they have a chance to win a title this year. And I'll group in Kevin Love here because Kevin Love, it looks like, is going to be a free agent after a buyout. Kevin Love is I know they're different positions, but he's better than Ferk. In my opinion, he's better than Trez when you look at what he can do on the offensive side. Like wouldn't and who knows if Kevin Love would want to come here. I would think he would. It makes a ton of sense. They have a chance to win a title. I don't know what his other options are. But why would you hold on? Like, does it impact the cap that much to hold on to Ferk and Trez where you're – Well, it's just – so if you're, a, if you're a cap – if you're a hard cap team, which they are this year, there are lots of issues with it. But it's more right. so, you know, if you're going to be a luxury tax up against the apron sort of team – 
every dollar is going to matter. And so to buy out FERC, for example, who's making like $5 million a year, you're ask, you would essentially ask him, all right, you're going to get your money for this year and then we'll take a chunk out of next year that you'll get paid, let's say half of it, just as a, mm-hmm. a mental exercise. So you'll get two and a half million dollars. Now that money will still be on the books. And so then it's like, well, you're paying this guy to not do anything and you have less flexibility as a result. Okay. It's just like not a, you don't want to, like you can move FERC in a trade in the off season. If, like, let's say they make a big trade with Tobias. Like you throw FERC in there and move some money around and get some mm-hmm. money back that is actually going to play. And then he'll get bought out by somebody next year. Like that's a thing that you just do later. I don't think, the problem also is it's not worth it primarily because anybody you're signing who's a buyout guy is not going to make a difference. It, like just, just is You don't think There's Kevin not, Love there... will make a difference? No, I think Kevin Love will get torched in the playoffs. I don't, I don't think he's doing much. Yet. Yeah. If they didn't, if they didn't have George and Yang, I could see the argument for bringing in love and you play him next to Joel and say, Kevin, you just stand out there and bomb threes. Yeah, and he's but, a, still a great three-point shooter. But that's Niang's job. Like that he okay. fills that niche. So I just I don't think Kevin Love makes a lot of sense on this team. Again, if Niang had gotten moved or was not on the team or whatever, I see the vision there. It's a power forward who can't defend, but you say, look, we have Joel behind him, and he's gonna benefit Joel a ton on offense. Yeah, but I playoff just, experience. I don't, I don't, I don't see the vision on, on this team with this roster, so it's just not worth it. All right, fair enough. It is, I will say, a fun part of doing this pod has been like, I'll see Kevin Love, and I'm just like, oh, they should definitely sign him. So it's interesting to hear why you think that wouldn't work. Part of me does just think he's better than Ferk and Trez, so ultimately, like, why, why do they have three backup centers on this roster? Is that common? Why do you have Deadman, Trez, and Paul Reed? Does that seem excessive on a 15-man roster, or... Because they're just grasping at straws for. (laughs) I mean, you want to back up big man, and if you have three, you have none. But that (laughs) yeah, good point. It's the same thing where it's like, oh, we're having a a quarterback competition in training camp. If you don't have a starting, if if you can't figure it out, you don't actually have a starting QB. Like, yeah, you don't have. If you have two quarterbacks, you don't have any. Is the uh, is the saying? So, well, how do you think that'll shake out ultimately? Like again. I feel like we spend 20 minutes of every pod talking about this backup center spot, but how, like they have three of them, right? I mean, is it just going to be whoever doc feels like playing that night? Is it going to be never Paul Reed and people will be mad about that? Like, how do you, how do you see it shaking out? I mean, in the playoffs, I think PJ Tucker is going to play center. Like I, again, I so that's to, four now. So right. <laughs> basically right. if I had to guess, I think PJ plays the important minutes. I think Paul is going to get his chance here in the weeks to come. Now, this is a rough, rough stretch of the season, as we've talked about. Is it above. finally like, starting? All right. That's, that's mo- so, I mean, right out of the break, they play Memphis, Boston, Miami. Yes. Yeah, and, and there's a lot of road games coming up. And even like we've been talking about this for months, but it has gotten tougher because of the trades at the deadline. They play mm-hmm. Phoenix at the end of March on the second half of a back-to-back. Kevin nice. Durant's probably playing in that game. They play Dallas on that same road trip. That's going to be Luca and Kyrie. Kyrie, yeah. So, I mean, there's just a lot, a lot of tough games coming up. A lot of road games. A lot of back-to-backs. I, I think they have 12 road games in the month of March alone, which is that's insane for any month. Yeah. 
let alone first game pods, I guess. Let alone down the stretch when you're talking about, you know, just trying to stay healthy and, you know, get ready for the playoffs. So I think Paul is going to get the first crack if I had to guess, but there are, uh, there's a reasonable chance that Doc just tries to change something because mm-hmm. things go awry on the road trip. I mean, look, they're going to lose some games here. They're yeah. not going to rip off, you know, 20 whatever wins between now and, and mid April. And I do think Doc will probably want to see what Dwayne Dedman looks like before they get to the playoffs and they just have to hit the panic button and get him there. So I I think it'll be a mix of guys. I hope it's not Trez at any point. I've seen what I need to see from him for uh, the rest of this season. People are not uh, fans. I'll say that. (laughs) The the, the Twitter people are not fans. No. And I'm not either. I mean, look, he had a good stretch at one point during the season at some good offensive games and, and deserved his playing time. But doc rightfully finally said, look, he's been in a bad way for a while now. And it's, it's time for somebody else to get a look. So I, I think it's going to be a lot of that between now and the end of the season. So speaking of staying healthy and speaking of the center position, um, Joel Embiid. So last night after the game, you were there, so maybe you could explain it better. But he essentially said he doesn't know if he's going to play in the All-Star game because he has a foot issue, to paraphrase, that he's dealing with. So tell me what happened. Tell me what you think. Like, is this worrisome? Is this just... Joel mad that he's not a starter and he's like, F this, I'm not going to go. Like what, what, what's your thoughts on what was said and, and, you know, such. I mean, look, he's been questionable for a month straight essentially. And what he said was that, you know, my doctor told me a month ago, I should sit out two weeks or whatever it is. Mm. And and that it's, it's just a thing that's only going to get better with rest. And, I had not been told much other than he has a lingering foot issue, which is the exact phrasing that he used last night. It seems like it's a a pain management thing as much as anything. He dealt with a, a problem dating back to, um, I believe it was mid-November, like Alas. around Thanksgiving. Yeah, uh, yeah. yeah. I want to say around Thanksgiving or so. And, and that just, was a new injury at the time in mid Yeah, so he had plantar fasciitis uh, during the offseason or fasciitis. I never know how yeah, to say that. Yeah, I think it's fasciitis. I believe. Fasciitis. Yeah. Uh, so he dealt with that in the offseason. That messed with his offseason program. But then he had a weird – he got tangled up with George and Yang in the Timberwolves game in November. Mm-hmm. And that ended up – you know, he hurt himself a little bit and missed – I think it was four games at the time. Missed another three in January after it flared up again. And it's just been one of those things that it's a day-to-day. How does it feel? What kind of treatment do I need to get on it? And and so I believe him in the sense that, you know, he doesn't know how he's going to feel when he wakes up and works out and gets on the floor every day. And the smart thing to do is probably to not play in this All-Star game, right? And mm-hmm. there have been years, I don't remember what year it was, where he played in the All-Star game. And then came back and immediately was ruled out for, yeah. you know, I think, a couple of weeks because of a, an injury that he was dealing with. And I think that pissed off a lot of people in the fan base. And, you know, rightfully so. Like, don't play in the All-Star game and then come back and say, well, I'm hurt and I can't play. Uh, I don't know about I, that, man. It's All-Star I, game. Like, I think it matters to have your guy out there if you're the Sixers. It does not matter as much as winning actual basketball games. It doesn't matter really at all. Like, honestly, so on a related subject, 
Do you mm-hmm. see who's in the fucking dunk contest this year? Yes, the dunk contest is a sad, sad thing the way it used But to that's be. look, that's that shows you where things have gone. All right, I'm gonna yeah, ask the dunk contest is not the all-star game. The NBA All-Star game is probably the best all-star game there. The dunk is. contest is supposed to be the biggest event yeah, of it's All-Star not. Saturday. Like, this morning I was getting ready and I like so I have an old pair of Vince Carter like Boeing shoes, you know, like those Nike things. And I almost put them on, and then I was, and I was thinking, like, man, the dunk contest used to be so much cooler. Like, I agree, but yeah. to compare the dunk contest to the All Star game, the All Star game is like the alpha mega All Star game. Like, it matters more than the dunk contest. Like, come on, not really, man. Oh, come, not, come on, not, you don't think of me being in the All Star game matters? I'm not being saying so, playing no. this specific one, but I'm saying a few years ago, like. Being selected matters. Playing in the game does not matter at all. I like. I, I, I genuinely. I don't care about any of this shit. But it's but, um, it, but it, like in this league specifically, I think the game is like the best of the best going. Like we've talked about it, how at the end of All Star games they the go best to of the best up. playing no defense and scoring two hundred points. Yeah, yeah defense a, doesn't matter. Awesome how we time. know that we've been. <laughs> but I'm saying like at the end of the day, I I don't look. I wouldn't play if I were him because he's at a different point in his career. But I understood early on wanting to play to get on that stage to be Joel to represent the Sixers is all I'm saying. Sure. But all I'm saying is that the dunk contest this year is Mac McClung, Trey Murphy, Jericho Sims, and KJ Martin. Yeah, like I that, literally don't know who any of those guys are. That, But that's what I'm saying. Like, none of this shit matters. And honestly, I will go a step further. I think this is a big problem for the NBA that we've reached this point. It's a symptom of the bigger problem, right? Like, load management might be the smart thing to do. And, you know, mm-hmm. Joel missing certain games – or back-to-backs or whatever it is, might be the right thing to do. But if you're a fan who wants to watch the NBA night to night, or you're someone who pays for tickets, like I think all the time about the Sixers playing Western Conference teams. And there's only one time a year that those teams visit the Sixers and vice versa. There are a lot of examples now of like, oh, this guy's just not playing. Like, oh, LeBron's not going to be here that night. Or, oh, Anthony Davis isn't playing. Oh, Zion Williamson's out. Oh, Kawhi Leonard's not playing because he's got, he's not even hurt. He's just got a like (laughs) load management, whatever it is. And you just keep going down the list of guys and the amount of games they miss. And it's, it is like almost criminal how many games where people are paying like all this money and they show up and they don't find out until a half hour before the game. It's like, oh yeah, that guy's not playing tonight. And I do think, that is a difference between you know, I hate all the like oh back in the day in the 90s or whatever but like Michael Jordan is on record as saying like it means something to me that this is the one chance somebody gets to see me a year and I'm going to go out there and not just be on the floor but show out and, and you know play my hardest and do all that and there's a lot of it has seeped into the NBA culture that it's like okay that oh this is just a throwaway part of the schedule like mm-hmm. first it was oh back to backs and then it's it's the games leading into the all star break and then oh games in March don't matter and then all of a sudden it's like dude it's half the fucking year these guys are like making excuses for oh, I can't play or I won't play or I shouldn't play and then you get into the, like to the all star part of it and nobody wants to be embarrassed it's like a, a somebody like lebron should have been in like 15 different dunk yeah, that, contests that's what i don't get like so first of all i'm glad for you to sound like the old man for once if you want to step it's just an, dude it's ass. annoying like i'm not i don't pay money to go to these games i have a credential i get to go to all these games for free right like, like it's 
whatever. Like, it doesn't really matter to me. It matters in the sense that I would like to watch the highest quality game possible. And I'd like to see, all right, how did the Sixers stack up against XYZ team? And I get it. Look, they, they want to protect these guys. I think there have been stories about this. The AAU circuit that they go through and the amount of games they go through, these guys have way more wear and tear on their bodies coming into the league then they use like that's the big difference is guys are coming in and they have the knees of like guys in their late 20s early 30s right. compared to you know when MJ's coming into the league he's just a, a fresher guy and so right. he doesn't Didn't deal make with his high school team yeah yeah so <laughs> there are a lot of factors to consider i just think and it's come up this week i know that the nba and the players association are in negotiations for a bunch of stuff right now I just I, I think the product is not as good as it can be because of all this stuff. And really, to me, the solution is the one they're never going to do. They got to cut games off the schedule. I you have to make it so they're playing less. And so that every game means more. That means more in the standings. It means more. You can sell it for TV packages, whatever. They're more national games compared to normal. I just I, I can't you can't keep doing this where. You don't know if guys are going to play. And it, it sucks whether it's the All-Star game, even though, again, right thing to do for Joel. You focus on the championship. The incentives are all about competing for a title, and the playoffs are all that matter. And so because the regular season is so devalued, the teams treat it as they should. They're doing the right thing based on how it's set up. And I just think it's shitty for the fans, and it's something that they have to do something about. I don't completely disagree with you on that. I do think what sucks is um, the, to your point, if you're like whatever age, who cares? You buy a game bef before the season. You're like, all right, the Lakers are coming in February. I really want to see LeBron. And you buy that ticket. You wait, you wait, you wait. And you go like, I think about when I was a kid. And again, like, like you, we can be jaded to it sometimes because we do these things for a living. So we don't always feel it. But I remember like growing up and even now with the Sixers, like, there are games I'm just more excited for because of who's going to play in it. And it does suck that that happens. But to your point, I don't know what the solution is other than cutting games because I also can't tell guys to go out there and play if they don't feel healthy. If then I'm yeah. then going to rip them. Like, so let's take Joel, for example. Joel is told he should probably sit for two weeks, right? He decides not to do it. We don't know that at the time, or at least I didn't know it. Let's say he goes out there and he super injures himself and now he's out for two months or whatever, right? right? So I see both sides of it. Like I commend Joel for pushing through. But then we've talked about it on this pod and I talk about it with my friends all the time, you know, well, all that matters is the playoff. So if we're going to, if we're going to tell Joel consistently, when we judge you as a player, all that matters is the playoffs. Then of course, I think he's going to do things. Now he didn't in this example, but to use other people like Kwai, Kwai plays like every other game at this point, right? Like he, he doesn't really often take the, the court, but for Joel, Joel knows he's going to be judged off the second round. We started this talking about that. So I can see from Joel's perspective why he would sit games out, but it does. I mean, it definitely sucks at the same time. Again, I, I a hundred percent get why the players and the teams who are giving that, like the doctors, all that are giving them the advice, why they approach it this way. They, all the incentive is to you win. You don't have to win 65 games to win a title, right? No. You win enough to have favorable seating, hopefully get as high a seat as possible but ultimately that stuff is not as important as the fact that you're healthy, that it just mm -hmm. not. And so to get to the end of an 82 game schedule with the way the back, the backs are situated and, and all of that, it's, I get it. I know I, 
the science is behind it, whatever, all that. Like, I'm not going to sit here and tell you I know better than team doctors and people right. who study sports medicine for a living and so on and so forth. I'm just telling you as an entertainment product, I think it's, it, it's terrible. Like it's just bad. And I think the NBA is losing ground on, you know, it looked at one point, it was never going to surpass football. The people who thought it, it were, it felt were, like it for a second. were insane, but it was at mm-hmm. least moving in the right direction from the NBA's perspective. Right. Ratings are going up. Interest level is high. And honestly, the league is more talented than it's ever been. Like the the, yeah. the players are awesome. I think the game itself is great. You know, there are divided opinions on that with the emphasis on the three-point shot, whatever. The big question every night points. is like, the yeah. big question every night is, will this guy play? Will the guy who right. I am showing up to the arena to see first and foremost, is that guy going to play? And that being such a big question around the league every night is really a shame because if it wasn't, uh, we'd be talking about this as such a, a golden age for the NBA. And I feel like maybe I feel that way because I'm so invested in the league for mm-hmm. my job and as a, a hobby aside from that. Yeah. But the people who are just the casual sports fans, they don't feel that. And I, I think that's a real shame. I- I 100% agree with you on it. I think the solution is a complicated one. Um, but to bring it back to Joel a little bit, just to kind of wrap up this this topic, uh, like how concerned should you should fans be moving forward? Ironically, now we're probably going to say he should sit and you know rest. But like, yeah. is it this is something that just came up on my radar last night? Like, is this something where it's a big deal? Like, do you think it's like moving forward? How concerned should I be about it? How concerned should fans be about it? I mean, relatively concerned. Anytime there's a foot, a lingering foot problem for a guy that big, that's That's a huge, huge issue. So, and you you add on the fact that Joel has had foot problems in the past. Now, broken bones are different than just having soreness and what have you. But the fact that they need to be relentlessly monitoring this foot to this degree, that's a bad sign in itself. And this is not the part of the schedule where there are some natural breaks for him to get days off. So mm-hmm. it's either he takes off this next week between the end of the, or the start of the all-star break and their game next week against Memphis, or there basically are no breaks until the end of the season. They will be done their year. I guess you could argue he'll get some days at the very end of the year because of the play in tournament. Cause that, that week will give yeah, them. Even that's like what, six days. I mean, yeah, but but, I mean, yeah. that's not nothing. That is a, counts. You're right, you're right, you're right, you're right. Yeah, yeah. every bit counts, but he's not going to get multiple weeks, which he said the doctor advised him two weeks of rest is what he needs. Now, you know, maybe you could say he takes this week off, takes the first week post break off and comes back, but I don't think it's solving it. I think it's a thing that this is only going to go away in the off season, if I had to guess, mm-hmm. from how he has talked about it. And I, maybe we'll touch on MVP and all yeah, that to, to, to yeah. end the podcast. I think it's very important to note that he has to play every single game the rest of the way to hit the 70 game threshold. There's only one player in NBA history in an 82 game season who played less than 70 games and won the MVP. So he has no margin for error if he wants to win the MVP. So I went through this with the Jalen Hurts thing. When Jalen didn't win MVP, people were like, well, who cares, right? 
I completely care. Like I, I think it's silly. And I bet you he cares. Like yeah. Jalen works definitely care. Yes, Jalen works his ass off to be 100%. one of the best guys in his profession, and of yes. course he cares. A hundred, a thousand percent. And also the whole like, well, it's okay. He'll get Super Bowl MVP. Didn't get Super Bowl MVP, so now now he has neither MVPs. But here's what I'd say for Joel. I like look. I've done the thing before where it's like Joel needs to care less about the MVP and focus more on winning. I probably softened my stance on that. But here's the reality. Joel is not getting MVP. It's not happening. Unless Jokic basically doesn't play the rest of the year. I'm not saying Jokic is going to get it, but Joel is not getting it. I think Jokic is going to get it. It's going to irritate the shit out of me. Which is crazy because, look, like this year, I think he's a more legitimate candidate for it. I think last year he shouldn't have gotten it. And there's a debate to be like, well, you know, should he get fewer votes because it's three straight times? I think there is an argument for it. But I also think there's a logic of view each season individually and just pick the best guy. But regardless, what I would say to Joel is you're not winning MVP, man. Like, I'm sorry, to your point, if he has to play every game the rest of the way, he's not going to play every game. So it sucks. I think he deserves to be in consideration in consideration more than he is. It just doesn't seem like he's going to win it. And based off the straw poll, it looks like it might not even be close. Yeah, so to the listeners, uh, Tim Bontemps at ESPN put out his second straw poll he polls, mm-hmm. I believe it's media. I want to say people that are actually working in the league, um, national, like international votes, reporters. Right? Yeah, it's it's a hundred voters the same. At, well, not I don't remember if there's. I think there's actually more than a hundred voters for MVP. It's not all people that have a vote. It's just a hundred people he's polled. Yes. Right, so okay. I am one of the straw poll voters, or at least Look I was. Look this at time. you, man. That's got to be cool. Um. Nikola Jokic got 77 out of 100 first place votes. Yeah. Overwhelming majority voting for Jokic. I was not one of those people. Nobody here will be surprised to learn. I did have yes. Joel in first. I did have Jokic. I can't remember if I had him either second or third. Okay. But my my yeah. five guys that I remember for sure were Joel, Jokic, Giannis, Tatum, and Luca are my five. I don't mm-hmm. remember the exact order I put them in, except for I had Joel uh, number well, one. Look, I, Luca, Luca could come up strong. Like if him and Kyrie really, really start killing it, like Luca could steal it from. Look, him. if if Nikola Jokic averages, even if he doesn't average a triple double for the season, if he averages a near triple double, and the Nuggets are the number one seed in the West, he's going to win the award. Yeah, and, and you can make the argument he does deserve it. If he if he averages that much and they're the one seed, like. I don't know, man. I don't want him to win it either. But the, the flaw was giving it to him last year, in my opinion. I, I just think the problem is nobody can ever decide if playoffs matter for this award. It Again, it's a regular season award. When and does it the should vote take be, place? Well, the vote takes place before the end of the season. What I'm saying is, historically, there's always been a you have to win in the playoffs to continue to win these awards. Giannis would have won three straight awards if not for the fact that Milwaukee failed in the playoffs. And so mm-hmm. he he stopped it too. And that was the big talking point against him. It's like, we want to see it when it matters to the Bucs and to Giannis. And for some reason, there's not that same impetus on Jokic, despite the fact that, you know, yeah. They haven't won anything outside of the bubble, basically. That's completely the, the one feather in his cap is the, the bubble season. He went to the right. conference finals against the, the choking Doc Rivers Clippers. And he got and, somewhat carried there for what not carried, but like Jamal Murray was unbelievable. Yeah, I mean Jamal Murray was unbelievable. Yeah. yeah. So 
it's going to be interesting if he wins this year and then the Nuggets with all they got all the tailwinds behind them. They're finally healthy. They're mm-hmm. the number one seed. They're going to have home court in the West if all this holds. If all that's behind them and then Jokic fails in the playoffs, it's what are we doing here? So yeah. that'll be a that'll be an interesting topic. But again, to your point, I do think that Joel has his mind on the right things. I, I think he's not as consumed by he certainly cares about mvp we're not going to sit here and pretend yeah and he should which joel is is above an mvp race or he's not going to appear in games because of that whatever but i do think that he's more focused on winning a championship and and being ready and available in april may and june when it really counts and so you know if he has to miss games and he dips under that threshold do you know who the only guy is to win mvp with under 70 games played by the way uh, no, I do not. I would try to guess, but I might embarrass myself. Bill Walton. God, I was going to guess that. It. I swear in my life I was going to guess that, man. God. And a really weird season because it was the year actually after Portland beat the Sixers in the finals. Mm-hmm. And I, I want to say the Blazers got – they started like 40 and 10 or something ridiculous. And he was the runaway right. best player in the league. So unique situation when that happened. It's not going to happen this year. Joel plays no. under 70 games. The other guys are too good and the, the competition's too tight. It doesn't matter though. What matters as we open the podcast with focus on the playoffs, doing the little things, all that. And yeah, the rest comes with it. I will say one way, and I hate this, but one way to can to get guys to play is to make, you know, like look, Joel hasn't won MVP because of games played. If if we on a macro scale feel guys playing more games helps the league more. That is one way, you know, to incentivize, to say basically like if you're not playing, you're not going to win. So I don't think that he should be punished for games played. But if we're going to want guys to play in more games, that you know, that's the flip side of it. You know, they're, well, they're on that topic, play. too, there's a report this week that that is actually being negotiated potentially into the CBA that really? to qualify. Now, this is again, this is still fluid. This is not yeah, happening for sure. But as part of the negotiations, the NBA and the Players Association have discussed if there should be a games played threshold for all NBA, MVP, Defensive Player of the Year. And that's part of their way, to, I guess. To But then it just turns into the availability award. Like, I don't like that. It already sort of is that as it is. I would almost prefer it just because at least we don't have to do the whole, is it because the games played? Is it not? At least there would be a, look, the guy didn't qualify. You know, as much as I would hate it, at least it would, I think, clear up some voting in that way maybe we'll see but i mean look, i would hate it too but at the end of the day if you knew at the end of the day you had to play that many games at least it would remove a variable to to that extent i don't know yeah well so the bottom line is i don't think i think joel would have to go absolutely nuclear between now and the end of the season and again it's worth noting end of march he does have a marquee game against denver at the end of a West Coast road trip, that if it is close, that game could decide the MVP race. Like, it's stupid. But if Joel kicks his ass twice, maybe it matters. I Based on the voting, and after Joel well, kicked his ass once. His ass and, last time, and <laughs> it didn't it didn't seem. Where did Joel finish yeah. in that, by the way? I know you said. I believe he was third. He was third behind Giannis. Was oh, Giannis. Second. That's right. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Uh, he was barely so the here are the points Jokic finished with 913 points Giannis finished with 552 Joel with 490 so 
the gap between Jokic and everybody. Like, that's the thing that bothers me. It's not that if Jokic were to win MVP, that's great. This idea that he is like by far the best player in the league is ridiculous. I agree with absolutely ridiculous. Great, great player deserves the accolades that he's gotten all that. This is it's absurd to, to suggest that he is comfortably the best player in the league. So I just thought of this. It might be wrong. He reminds me a little bit of Mike Trout in the way that great player, but completely irrelevant. Like completely irrelevant. At the end of the I day, I wouldn't go that far. At least, he, matter, at least he I know makes the playoffs. Yeah, well, true, but that, yeah, there's eight teams. It's easier to make it. But well, I guess there's seven in baseball now, or whatever. So, but yeah, no, I'm like, I have a Mike Trout thing where it just angers me to no end that they show him at the jumbotron at the Eagles games. It's like he's not a Philly athlete. He doesn't play for any of the teams. He's not actually from here. Like, dude, the Mike and I like. So I'm sure he's a nice guy. Whatever. Blah blah blah. I just, I don't get the Mike Trout thing. And Jokic reminds me of Trout in the way that everybody's like, oh yeah, he's a great player. Like, doesn't matter at all. I know the Nuggets are the one seed this year, but, and they're better than they used to be. But the last few years, I don't think anyone viewed the Nuggets as legitimate title contenders. The thing I would say on Trout is I lost my sympathy for him when he signed the mega contract with them. Because I think when he was a young player, it's like you got drafted by them, whatever. You're putting up crazy numbers and not winning. Like, okay, that's not your fault. You're on this team that that drafted you. You're doing whatever mm-hmm. you can to re up with that team when any team in baseball would have given you bonkers yeah, money, three hundred like, million dollars. Yeah, it's not like yeah, you dude, you can make four hundred million dollars for basically any team in the league, at least yeah. any team that's actually trying to compete. And he said, you know what? I'm staying with this dog shit franchise that hasn't won anything. Like Dude, let me that's tell where you. I so, say, you know what? I don't really care anymore. It's I, you, you signed up for this. You get what you deserve. I, I agree. So last thing before we wrap this up, I'll say in 2017, the Eagles went to Seattle and LA for that, like back to back out West. And I stayed out West and they practiced at the angel stadium. Dude, this, this stadium is in the middle of a parking lot, like in the middle of, <laughs> no, it would literally be like, I'm trying to think of what I can compare it to. I was going to say the target in South Philly, but even that is more bustling and like this. It's, it's like the most dumb stadium I've ever seen. He basically plays in front of like, so yes, I'm anyway, I don't know how we got on the Mike Trout thing, but I I, I'm not a Mike Trout fan. So last thing for, I'm not anti Mike Trout for the record. I I don't have have sympathy for him losing. I'd rather be Bryce Harper at the end of the day. Like he's more important to baseball to me. Maybe not as good of a player, more important to baseball than Mike Trout. There's a funny tweet that uh the other guy plays with otani it's like every angels game you'll see oh mike trout (laughs) mike trout was three for four with two home runs and otani (laughs) did something never seen since old tungsten armo doyle (laughs) did it in and it's like and the angels lost six to five (laughs) yeah exactly yeah well dude that the other thing too is trout's not even the best player on his team like that has to kill him like you know at least for a while he at least he was the best player on his team He's not At least, even, uh, well, there's no real shame in that because Otani is like the, he's unbelievable. one of the right. most ridiculous athletes in sports. So we got the All-Star break coming up, which is not ideal from in terms of catching some momentum from recording. But we will be recording more now that the Eagles are gone. I think uh, this is a time to, again, the Sixers get the attention now. The Phillies, pitchers, pitchers and catchers next week. The Flyers, who cares? I'm never going to convince people to care about the union. So it's basically just the Sixers at this point. So... We'll be recording soon. Any uh, any kind of final thoughts? Anything else going on you want to talk about before we wrap this bad boy up? 
No, I want to say you brought up the union. I'm a little pissed off that as one of the former soccer players in Philadelphia wow. media, that I'm not one of these union influencers who get yeah. sent like jerseys and all this other stuff. I, I get mad. I see like um, my friend uh, Breland Moore who does oh. sports at Fox or mm-hmm. like Tyrone Johnson or, you know, all these other people are posting new union jerseys. And I'm like, what about me? I don't cover the union. Uh-huh. I'll be an influencer. Kyle, man, like I literally almost started the pod with this, but then I decided no. Like, again, all great media members. Jamie Apodi got one. Breland Moore got one. One. I played in the union media soccer game. Like, I, <laughs> I, I, I swear on my life, man, I think it's almost a bit not to include me. Like, it has to be. The union have 170,000 followers on Twitter. I have 120. I'm like almost right there with them. I tweeted about the, I tweeted about the union like four times yesterday with these kits. And look, I'm gonna buy one, so it is what it is. But like, yeah, I'm I'm a little heated See, about it. That's where they, that's where they got you. That's a, I, know. I don't I don't buy sports memorabilia or anything. So that was you know that send me some stuff, Philadelphia Union social media manager, wherever you are. Yeah, and here's the other thing, man. Like the advice I'd give the union, you know what gets media members tweeting and talking about stuff? Free stuff. Free stuff, right? So like ultimately, if you sent a union kit to like the top hundred Philly media members. It would be the biggest thing in Philly yesterday talking about this kit. And I actually like it the more I see it. But I agree, man. If someone's listening right now and you work for the union, and not to mention I'm a season ticket holder for what it's worth. But, like, yes, like, I think uh, I think we should get free kits, man. That's basically I'm just a little about. bitter about it. I, that, that I I'm am. a lot I, bitter about it. Every yeah. time I see Breland post something on Instagram where it's, like, some oh, new thing they send her, I'm just, it burns me up inside. I always yeah. – I always text her like oh, the number one union influencer is back. <laughs> I know. And Breland's good people. So I'm happy she got yes. it. But uh, yeah, no, not I mean, hating on her. I'm hating on the union to be clear. We're extremely jealous is what it is. We're extremely yeah. jealous. So union hook us up. Maybe we'll even come to a game. I mean, you know, it'd be, it'd be a good time. So, all right, man. Um, looking forward to definitely doing more pods now. It's gonna be a lot of fun stuff. We'll rip on the All-Star game. We'll talk about Joel not playing, all those fun things. But um, once again, thank you to everybody that's listened. Uh, sorry for the hiatus. We will be back more. Um, I, you know, as always, we'll talk to you guys next time. Uh, listen on the Odyssey app. Leave those five-star reviews. 94 to VIP. Thank you for helping make this happen. Kyle, I'll talk to you next time. Man. Talk to you guys soon.